Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Well, good morning, church. My name is Elijah Daly. I get to be one of the ministers here on staff. And today we are wrapping up our series in Godly Wisdom for Godly Living. And we've been looking at really just some practical ways we can integrate the wisdom of God into our everyday life with things like pretty much all of us need more practical wisdom for. Things like friendships and wealth and suffering. And today we're talking about joy. And there's several reasons I wanted to talk about joy, but there's three main reasons. And the first one is simply this. I just wanted to put a little bit more pep in our step. You know what I mean? I'm going to finish off this series well. I just want to see some smiles on those faces. So hopefully by the end of today, you're going to walk out of here feeling good. You know what I mean? We'll see. No promises, but uh, hopefully that's true. And the second thing is because I just know a lot of people who struggle with this. Like they just struggle with being up and down. Some people just struggle with being down. And so I just wanted to look at like what scripture has to say about joy. And the third thing is that scripture says a lot. In fact, I just want to read for you several passages that actually begin to talk about joy. Listen to Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Psalm 47, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. How awesome is the Lord most high, the great king over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. Psalm 16, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Proverbs 15, 23, a man finds joy in giving an apt reply. And how good is a timely word. Proverbs 21, 15, when justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. Ecclesiastes 2.24, a man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Now, I know that was a lot, but you can pretty much see that it is very prevalent. And I, honestly, this just barely skims the surface of like all the texts that talk about joy. It's everywhere and it's in different things. Like we see joy in work and in justice and in second chances, in God, in good advice and in food, amen? Joy is everywhere. So we are going to study what scripture says about it. And we're gonna ask three questions. What is joy? Why do we need it? How do we get it? What is joy? Why do we need it? How do we get it? That's where we're going. So what is joy? Now, maybe this seems like a silly question because I bet most of us could probably respond to this pretty quickly. We could probably come up with a, a fairly simple definition of what this is, but I think we need to define our terms because the truth is we probably all assume we mean the same thing when we say joy, but there might be differing distinctions among us. Like I might mean something different than the person sitting next to you. And so we can say an awful lot of things without anything actually being heard. And so what I wanna do is look at this definition. Because if there's one thing I know for certain, it is that oftentimes when, they're, when, the, when the, ter the terms aren't defined, when we don't have a common language, we can really miss out on the actual dialogue that takes place. Let me give you an example. As a parent, I find this happens daily, especially with my second born son. I don't know about you, but second borns, they are crazy. So if you're a second born, God bless you, you know? 
Now, here's what you possess. You possess the ability to drive your parents insane, but you also come with that joy. You are like so fun to be around when you're not driving us crazy. So with my second son, Dawson, every day it seems like I'm telling that kid to go to his room and sit on his bed, you know, to think about things. And the truth is I do this for two reasons. One is because like he's got to go sit there and like calm himself down. But then I also need to like calm myself down so I can speak well. So eventually there's one time in particular, I go into his room and I start to have that conversation, you know, Dawson, do you know what you did? You know, uh, do you, do you know that you can't do this and that this is wrong? Like it can hurt people and, you know, trying to help him gather some information. And then at the end of it, I always say, do you understand? And he just kind of looks at me blankly and I'm like, Dawson, I need you to say yes or no. And he says, yeah, kind of shakes his head. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you understand? He just kind of looks at me and I say, Dawson, I need you to tell me yes or no. And so he says, yeah, I understand. He shakes his head. Yes. I'm like, okay, tell me what you understand. I don't know. <laughs> you know, he doesn't know. And I'm like, what do you mean? I just asked you, you, you said that you did. You said both times you understood. And then it dawned on me. I'm like, Dawson, do you know what understand means? And he said, no, <laughs> you didn't know. I just assumed that he did, you know, but he's a three-year-old kid, you know, so he has no idea what I'm talking about. He, he just kind of went along with it. He just figured I wanted a yes. And so he gave it to me. He's right. We had to define our terms. You know what I mean? Like, cause ultimately we all probably think a little bit differently about this concept of joy. I could go the whole sermon today talking about joy and you'd be thinking something different than I did. We walk out of here feeling maybe pretty good, but at the end of the day, did we actually learn anything? And so what I want to get us all on the same page with is not that of, of my definition of joy, not necessarily of your definition or even the person sitting next to you. I want to look at scripture. I want to see what it says because it says a lot. But one of the bummers that it doesn't say is it never gives us a definitive like definition. There's no dictionary definition here. You know, it doesn't give us a, a short, concise explanation. And so what we have to do when we look at this concept, we have to take a text and then just say, what is it implying to us about joy? So the first one I want to look at is Proverbs 21, 15. It says, when justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. Now, this is a helpful verse because it's contrasting it with another sort of concept that we are probably familiar with, terror, you know, being afraid, fear. And when you think about the concept of terror or fear, you think, wow, that is, that's an emotion, right? And it's kind of an emotion that's not very pleasant. But you start to see, okay, this is talking about a feeling. It's contrasting, joy is being contrasted with a feeling of, of fear. And so at some level, at least we can say this, it seems to be a feeling. And if we just took the contrasted aspect of it, we'd maybe think that it was talking about courage or confidence. But Psalms and Proverbs and all of these texts, they give us more color to what is actually going on. Listen to what Psalm 126 says. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Again, we're trying to ask the question, what are the implications of this verse? What's it telling us about joy? Well, we know it's a feeling and it seems obviously pretty clear here. It's a good feeling. Like it's not necessarily courage, it's actually like pleasure, excitement, delight, happiness. Now I say happiness because I've heard people say that they think that there's a difference between joy and happiness. Have you guys heard this before? They say like joy is that eternal thing, this eternal unchanging thing and happiness is temporary. 
Like joy, they say, is found in God and happiness is only found in things of the world. But I'm going to push back against that definition today because we're all having fun today. Why not? I'm going to disagree. And here's why. First off, scripture really never makes that distinction. Like it never really says this is happiness, but this is joy. In fact, when we look at that word joy, it is literally found all over the place. And it's found in regards to like all sorts of things. Like, of course, it's found in regards to God, but it's also found with food and work and justice and advice. I mean, it's just kind of everywhere. I just don't necessarily see that distinction really coming through scripture. Second off, I don't think it's particularly helpful because then we kind of have this vague understanding of what it is we are supposed to feel with God. Like with a promotion or making a sale, you're like, yeah, that, I know what that feels like. That feels pretty good. But then people start talking about joy with God. And you're like, okay, but if that's different, then like, what am I supposed to feel? You know, it kind of makes things a little blurry. What does enjoying God look like? What does that really mean? The truth is we find joy in all kinds of things. This good feeling, it's not useful, I, I don't think, to, to, to say we don't find joy in material blessings and conveniences and relationships because we do. Like we really do. In fact, I was kind of chuckling to myself uh, a couple of weeks ago when Drake was preaching on wealth. I don't know why, but that's, that Chris Jansen song just kept popping into my head. You know that one, Buy Me a Boat? You guys know that song? It's like, well, happiness can't, you know, buy me, or maybe happiness can't, what am I saying? What is it? What is it? What is it? That's right. That's right. Maybe, maybe money can't buy me happiness, but it can buy me a boat. That's what he says. And it can buy me a truck to pull it. And that song kept, you know, just popping into my head. And I would chuckle to myself. I would just laugh because I was like, yes, it's kind of true. Like, you know, like there is definitely delight, you know, there. There's definitely delight that we find in things like a promotion or like a sale or, or like a relationship or a kiss, you know, or being with people, eating hot dogs, shooting fireworks. I mean, that is good times. That is a feeling of good, pleasurable delight. There's joy there. This is why Proverbs 10, 23 can say, a fool finds pleasure in wicked schemes, but a person of understanding delights in wisdom. You see, the wicked and the wise have delight, but they are just in different things. It's the same Hebrew word used there. Joy is a good feeling that we can experience through all kinds of things. That's how scripture has defined joy so far. It's a feeling. It is good. And that's how we're going to define it. Very simply, very concisely, it's a good feeling. So why do we need it? Why do we need this thing? Again, probably a silly question to ask, maybe, I don't know, but I'm assuming all of us, like, we do want it, you know? We probably would probably come up with reasons that are different, though, in terms of, like, why we would want it or why we feel like we need it. And then there's the problem of, like, why we are ever without it. Like, why do we even have to ask this question? It's because at some level, there are times where we don't experience it, where we lack joy, where we feel the void, we feel that it's missing sometimes. This is what Solomon talked about when he's experiencing all the things, when he recounts all the things he got to indulge in, knowing all the things he possessed in Ecclesiastes 2. He talks about how he had laughter and wine. He had the works of his hands and he possessed animals and employees and women and gold. And listen to what he says in Ecclesiastes 2.10. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. You see what he's saying here? 
He's not saying, well, I found happiness in those things, but not joy. No, he had joy. He talks about his delight, his pleasure in his work, his relationships, his wealth. The problem is that this joy didn't last. Like he took a step back and he surveyed it all. He looked at it all and he was sad. Why? It's a pretty stunning thing. Like, of course, we understand if somebody feels like they lack joy because they don't have something they want, like wealth. And we probably even understand if somebody lacks joy because they do have something that they don't want, like suffering. But here, Solomon has everything you could possibly want, health and wealth. He has it all, but he looks back at his life. He takes it into view and he's sad. Why? Now, if this wasn't interesting enough, when you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, it makes it even more interesting. Because the Apostle Paul wrote a letter called Philippians in your Bibles. And that letter, the, one of the dominant themes throughout it is joy. The reason that is so incredible is because he's writing it from a prison cell. This is somebody who has been imprisoned and mocked, and yet he's talking over and over about his joy that he's rejoicing for them, that he's praying for their joy. He's praying for them. He talks about this joy that he has, that he possesses. Why? How is this possible? Listen to Philippians 1.4. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Philippians 2.17. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Like this is all over the place and it makes no sense. Here is a man who has no wealth, no wife, no wine, and he has been beaten and mocked and imprisoned. And yet here he writes, I have joy. How strange that Paul, who has nothing, has joy. Solomon, who has everything, is sad. Why? Perhaps because there's something else about joy, something we have not yet considered. You see, joy is a good feeling but what makes these things give you a good feeling? Like what is it about a promotion that makes you have joy or the embrace of a loved one in a relationship, the acquired, acquirement of wealth and storing up of these things? Like what makes these things bring you a good feeling? I think if you take a step back and you start to look at this list, you can actually start to see at some level they address who we are as human beings. Like we are mind and body, we are physical and spiritual. We think and we feel and we act. They address our needs at some level. At the core of who we are, we all possess this longing to be known and to be loved. And every part of this gives us a dimension of that. A promotion makes us feel known. An embrace, a relationship makes us feel loved. Wealth gives us the ability to seek both of these ends. You see, the reason we need joy is because it is inherently tied up within our purpose and our identity. It's locked in with it. If we lack joy, it's usually because we lack this, uh, this feeling of being known or loved, of existence, of living. And so we seek it. Sometimes we seek it in the stimulation of our physical bodies. But most of us recognize that those things fade so quickly, we, we generally turn to other things. But there are those who don't. There are those who become enslaved by it because they have they become convinced that that's the only place that they could ever experience joy. Sometimes it's in relationships and status, wealth, hobbies. 
Have you ever heard of Ronda Rousey? You may have heard of her name before. She was the first female UFC fighter. And for three years, she was undefeated. Didn't lose one single match. Until November 15th, 2015, she was knocked out in the second round by a woman named Holly Holm. And as soon as she was, she was sent to the hospital. And she was in an interview with Ellen DeGeneres recounting her experience. Let me read to, her, read to you what she said. She said, honestly, my thought in the medical room, I was sitting in the corner and was like, what am I anymore if I'm not this? Literally sitting there thinking about killing myself. In that exact second, I'm like, I'm nothing. What do I do anymore? She said, no one cares about me anymore without this. Do you see? She had a longing to be known and loved and felt that because she lost her status, that this was now an impossibility. It made her question her entire existence. Many of us make this sort of exchange, but most of us never achieve a height so great that the fall feels so hard. We're able to distract our lives and ourselves with these little wins here and there to distract the fact that we have this void of joy, this lacking. You know, we are unhappy in our marriage, but at least our careers are good and at least we have our gym and at least, you know, we have our friends and the kids are doing well in sports or school. But man, as soon as those things start falling out of whack, that void of joy becomes very apparent, becomes loud. We start to realize what it is we do, in fact, lack. We feel this longing to be known, to be loved, to live start asking these questions like, who am I anymore? How do I exist in this world in a way that I can experience the delight of it all? You see, what we need is the same sort of joy that Paul has because this dude is in a prison cell, but he has joy. He's praying for other people. He's helping them see that like he has joy and he wants them to as well. He has literally nothing that is usually associated with pleasure. And he has almost everything usually associated with pain. And yet this dude has delight, joy, a good feeling. And so we ask our final question. How do we get that kind of joy? How do we get it? Now, if you didn't care about the other questions, certainly we care about this one. This is the million dollar question. This is the one that we've all been waiting for. Psalm 16, I think, starts to give us a way forward. Listen to what it says. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And thank you for Psalm 16, which gives us a step-by-step -step process on how to have joy. And I hope you saw the first step. The first step is to see the Lord as your ultimate source of joy. This is what the psalmist says. It says, you alone are my portion and my cup. He is the ultimate source of joy. Now, what the psalmist isn't saying is that you can't find joy in anywhere else, right? We've already seen this, that you can, that this is not just possible, but it's actually a good thing. 
The point the psalmist is that, has is that those moments of other joy never eclipse God as the ultimate source of it. Those other good things that you have in your life should make you turn toward him, not away from him. Most of the time, they make us turn away from him, thinking that they can fulfill desires and aspects of our longings that they simply cannot fill. This is what made Paul have joy despite he, the fact that he lacked material blessings and conveniences. Like those things are nice, but they are always threatened by space and time and people. They make for good blessings. They are terrible gods. The reality is that so long as God is the source of your joy, the ultimate source, it will always be possible. So long as you consider God the place where your joy truly stems from, the one thing, it will always be possible for you to receive and have it and enjoy it. The next step is to keep your eyes on him. Keep your eyes on him. That's what verse eight says. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. And this is because with all other joy, the danger is that it will fade or be taken. This is literally not true with God because he is eternal. He is infinite. He is unchanging. God never changes. And so it will never fade. What you possess in God can't be changed because he decides to be, be different than what he was before. You enjoy him always because he never changes and he can never be taken from you. You don't want to, because you didn't earn it. You never earned him. He gave himself to you. He is always with you and always accessible to you. You simply must keep your eyes on him, not turn away from him. And this is what we sometimes do. We get distracted. We take our eyes off. We put our eyes elsewhere. We are lured away by something. And the worst part is that something usually does give us pleasure. It usually does give us delight. It gives us a taste, but then it's gone. That's the problem. It promises us something that it delivers only momentarily. And oftentimes we have guilt and shame. The psalmist says, keep your eyes on the Lord because when he is your ultimate source of joy and your eyes are on him, you'll simply just see the beauty and sit at his feet and enjoy all that he is in relationship with him. Which leads to the last step. You must be in his presence to do this. You must be in his presence not only to see that he is a worthwhile ultimate source of joy, but also to see how beautiful he is to have your eyes on him. The only way to get true joy with eternal pleasures is to be in the presence of God. It's to be in relationship with him. So you must consider him your ultimate source of joy. You must keep your eyes on him and you must dwell in his presence. Now that's simple, right? But it's not easy. It's challenging. There are great challenges to this, but I truly believe the greatest challenges to this, to this is to actually believe that God is the source of it. The greatest challenge to your joy is actually believing that God is the source of it. And I'll be honest with you, as I prepared this, as I looked at the text and I was thinking through the different dynamics of all that, all that joy contains, I was trying to rack my brain of ways to help you believe this, to convince you and persuade you. I couldn't do it. I couldn't come up with a way to, to make you believe that God truly is worthwhile in enjoying for eternity. But it did make me think of this, my son Dawson again. Because I don't know if you have this problem, but my kids love to eat. They don't like to eat everything though. They like to eat very specific things. 
And Dawson is definitely an offender in our house when it comes to only liking to eat a very, 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 very specific thing. Now, we love bread in our family. And Dawson, he enjoys himself some good bread. We have biscuits and rolls, all kinds of things. And we had these biscuits and we had this amazing honey. And I was trying to get him to to try a biscuit with butter and honey on it. And I was like, Dawson, you are going to like this. Trust me. Uh, you love candy, you love sugary things. You know, sometimes he asks, is that sugary? You know, he loves these things. I'm like, Dawson, you're gonna love this. I promise you, son, you're gonna love it. It's gonna be better than candy. You will never have your biscuit the same again. But he wouldn't believe me. Like, I don't know, he's suspicious of me because I guess I gave him too many vegetables. So he just rejected the invitation time after time, time after time. Finally, one day, I got him to try it. And you know how kids are. They take like the smallest bite ever. It's like, there's no way you tasted it. You know what I mean? But he takes the smallest bite ever. And his eyes light up and he gets a big old grin. I said, do you like it? He said, yes. He understood that. And he never eats his biscuit the same. Always with honey. I can't convince you that God is a worthwhile, ultimate source of joy. But my invitation to you is to taste and see because the smallest taste of the gospel is better than a truckload of worldly pleasure, an entire world of pleasures. All you need is a small glimpse, small taste of all that God is. And so I simply offer you this, a glimpse of the gospel, that the God of the universe who is holy, and good sustainer of all things. He created us for himself, but we abandoned him for ourselves. And we ran and he saw that we were pursuing a life of lesser joys. He saw that we were on a trajectory of death, that we were tired and unsatisfied. And so he became like one of us and he knew us in and out our strengths and our weaknesses, our flaws and our failures. And he loved us. And he exchanged his life for ours. And he took our penalty of sin and death so we could have his blessing of life. And he covered our sin so we could live in his presence. And he offered us a life of eternal joy so we could live in that presence forever instead of just having momentary encounters with it. You see, Jesus invites us to have joy in him, to have our eyes on him and to live with him and complete assurance that it will never be taken. He is good. And I love the way Tim Keller sums this up. He says, to be loved but not known, it's shallow. To be known but not loved, that's our greatest fear. But to be known and loved, that's what it means to be loved by God. That is why he can only be our ultimate source of joy and nothing else. Because he knows everything and loves, him, loves us all the same. And all I can do today is present this to you and hopefully entice you to take a taste, to ignite your desire Because the truth is so many of us are fighting for or we are weeping over what we lack. Wealth, a spouse, 
health, a 401k, a job. But the truth is when you see him face to face, your biggest regret will not be what you lack, it will be what you did not give. Because he is everything. We were made for him. And he is what we will, can enjoy forever, starting right now. And I do believe John Piper is right when he says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So church, taste and see. The Lord is good. Let him alone be your portion. Let all other goods turn you toward him. And today, what we wanna do is simply give you some time to sit and reflect, like what are those other competing joys in your life? The things that you are living for because you have accepted and believed their promise of ultimate joy. What are ways you can get your eyes on the king, discarding those other things, limiting them so that true joy can make all of those other things good, but make God great. Stop and consider, reflect. Take some time. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.